Welcome to another Baseball America Prospect Handbook Podcast. J.J. Cooper and Matt Eddy joining you today. Got two things really to cover today. First off, we're going to wrap up the Rule 5. Matt and I are both there for the uh, the always amazing Rule 5. Uh, I think it took, what, 11 minutes this year? <laughs> Something like that. And when we're done with the Rule 5, we're going to move on. We have to do our National League West Prospects Draft. We've gotten a lot of good feedback from people. that They seem to be enjoying this kind of format. If you haven't listened to the first couple, they're they're available on the uh, on the site. But what we do is we take a look at each of the NL West top tens. We lop off the number one prospects, and then we hold we draft back and forth to see which guys we would rather have. Uh, you know, looking at all five of the organizations together. So we're going to do that in just a second. Do want to remind you that the uh, Baseball America books are all available. You can go to baseballamerica.com/store. And uh, check out all the books. we got the Almanac uh, arriving very shortly. We have the calendar. The Great Parks calendar is out. We're finishing up very shortly the Prospect Handbook. That'll be out, obviously not by Christmas, but we're, we're, we're within range where you can see it being shipped before too long. And then we also have the Super Register, and we have the, uh, the Baseball America Directory coming out a little later in the, uh, the winter. So those are coming up. You can check them out again at BaseballAmerica.com slash store. But we now move on to the Rule 5 draft. Well, what we wanted to do is just give you a little thumbnail. Only nine guys taken in the Major League portion, so we don't have to uh, dive in too deeply. We're not covering all 38 players taken in the minor league portion in this. Sorry, sorry, uh, <laughs> Rule 5 geeks. But, uh, um, but that should still be enough to, uh, to give us a good feel. With that in mind, I'm going to basically start off with Matt. Has, Matt's going to give you kind of a a stat that stood out for each of the nine guys who was taken. When he, Once he does that, then I'm going to give some little scouting background on, on what I found when we were doing the kind of the scouting reports on these guys leading into the draft in many cases. So starting off, number one, Patrick Schuster. Uh, yeah, Schuster uh, traded to the Padres. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing that stands out about him, he's got the low arm angle, but he's also got pretty good control and, and pretty good dominating results against left-handed batters. Uh, he had a 5-1 to one strikeout to walk against lefties. Uh, striking out about three out of every ten. And he's got that tough angle, and it's the angle more so than the pure stuff that uh, the Padres were interested in. It, it was worth it. Uh, we knew we had a pretty good sense, even the night before, that the Padres were going to draft a left-handed reliever. And the interesting part of that was is that we do that, and we had we thought like four or five really good, you know, solid candidates and no, 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 no. And we, you know, okay, five more, you know, and we never came out with Patrick Schuster. I mean, we threw it out the very end, kind of like, okay, mate, but it wasn't something where we were in any way confident they were taking Patrick Schuster. And I think a lot of that is, is that he's a little further away. There were some guys, there were some lefty-on-lefty, and this is what Schuster is, is really probably going to be a lefty-on-lefty reliever. Yep. There were guys who are a little closer to the big leagues, who are you know who probably are equally effective against lefties as we saw it. Mm-hmm. The thing that Schuster, you probably do remember if you read Baseball America at all, is that Schuster had an amazing no-hitter streak in, in high school. He's always had some feel for pitch. And if you matched him up with the other left-on-left lefty that, who went in this Rule 5 draft, who we'll get to in a minute, Brian Moran, he may be a little bit better long-term against right-handers than Moran. Mm-hmm. A little bit more stuff, I would argue. Uh, his results in 2013, for sure, were a lot better against right-handers. So that's number one. That moves us on to number two. Adrian Nieto, the uh, catcher the White Sox drafted. First catcher drafted since 2008. 2008. Yeah. Uh, 
uh, what really stood out to me, I didn't know this going in, is he actually finished fifth in the Carolina League with a three seventy three on base percentage. You know, that's, that's far removed from the major leagues, but you have a young switch hitting catcher, shows some field to hit, some field to draw walks, get on base. It's, you know, you let him sit out a year and let him get some more development, you might have something. And, and we'll be interested to see what the White Sox do with this, because the normal argument for never taking a catcher in the Rule 5 is that you don't take a catcher in the Rule 5 unless you're, he's ready to be your primary backup catcher because you generally only carry two. I don't know if Nieto's ready to be that primary, you know, I, I don't know if he's ready for 200, 250 at-bats this year. Right. That being said, the, the White Sox catching situation is pretty poor. Maybe they're willing to carry him as a third catcher for, you know, at least part of the year, kind of ease him into that role, and knowing, okay, there may be a payoff down the road for it. That's That was why I was a little surprised when I saw that, they, you know, that even we kind of got it hammered out beforehand that Nieto was probably going to the White Sox. I, Carlos Perez, to me, is a guy, Astros catcher, who's much more ready to be. If you said the White Sox took Carlos Perez, I would have said, okay, I think he has a very solid chance to be their backup catcher this year. You know, and whether that means Flower, you know, Flowers or Fegley, one of those guys was going to be not up, you know, down AAA or whatever. I don't know if Nieto, I feel, is confident about that. That being said, as you just touched on, Nieto has more offensive upside. Um, even if I, I did talk to a number of scouts who still had him pegged more as kind of a, a fringe big leaguer down the road, and we're a little surprised to, to see him get taken in the Rule 5 draft. Yeah, no, I mean, the last two years he has a 450 slugging versus uh, right-handers. Just Yeah, he, he, he's, he's got a little bit better bat than the average uh, catcher who's available in the Rule 5. The, the question is, defensively, okay, not outstanding yet. Right, he right. boxes he, some balls every now and then, and he's yet to play above the ball. That's going to be a, a big jump. Well, the White Sox do have some flexibility. Fegley has options. Um, Flowers is probably out of options, but... You know, they might if if Nieto looks good, they might expose him to waivers. So okay. on to number three. Number three. Uh Kevin Munson, the right handed reliever taken by the Phillies. Thing to watch here, he has good stuff, but um he allowed quite a bit of power to right handed batters, which is supposed to be his, his good split. So he, he allowed five home runs last year, you know, um three forty nine slugging, which is actually pretty high for a you know, one inning reliever. That's the thing I would watch with him, but he does have good stuff. Good stuff. I do think, I think after the draft I did tweet out, Munson to me is, I see as the second most likely to stick. Mm -hmm. And I say that because it's not as big a jump for him. It's, you know, he's a little closer to the big league. Some of these other guys we're talking about, way closer to the big league than one of the guys we'll be talking about in just a minute. (laughs) Um, And, and again, solid stuff with a little bit, I mean, it's not something where he's all over the place. It's not something where he never throws a strike, anything like that. So, I, I, he was a guy who you heard a lot of mentions of coming into the draft, that he was a guy who could get picked. Mm-hmm. You know, there, Again, there were some guys who didn't get picked who I thought would also have been good fits. But but, but he's, he'll be a guy, I think, who has a decent chance to. Uh, yeah, low-leverage reliever. Yeah. 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 Uh, Tom, uh, number, the fourth pick was, what, Tommy Conley mm-hmm. uh, by, the, by the Rockies from the Yankees. You know, he's striking out more than a quarter of batters on both sides, but uh, he's also walking 17%. So that works out to roughly... You know, one out of every five batters. That's that's a very high ratio for a. For I, that's, a that's worrisome. It's very scary. Um, but they love the arm strength. Right. He he's a stash guy, and the really question becomes: Are you going to be willing able to stash him? Because he's a stash guy unless his control takes a big step forward. Control is less of a concern for a reliever than it is for a starter. 
That being said, he's been a reliever. The idea is, is that you bear down in one inning, you you know, the control's a little less of a problem because you just air it out for one inning. That's not been the case for Conley up to now. I was kind of interested to see he went Danny Barawa, uh, another Yankees arm with a very similar profile, um, did not go. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, kind of compare Conley and Barala this year. Like, did they get the right one? You know, it's also be the great what if question of our time. Yes, I know. <laughs> People will be uh, will write books about that, you know, as it goes along. So, on to number five. Okay, the fifth pick, uh, Brian Moran, the uh, left-handed reliever who's now with the Angels. The, the number that jumps out here is 38% strikeout rate against AAA left-handed batters the last two years. That's Extremely good. If he can maintain that, he, he will be a valuable piece of the bullpen. The the interesting part about this is one of the things that's definitely come out in the Rule 5, it's very much, uh, we have uh, Rangers Director of Pro Scouting, uh, Josh Boyd, made the point yesterday, Rule 5 is very much an eye of the beholder. Yeah. We're talking after the draft. You know, if you like a guy, you take him, even if, you know, because you your team has good reports on him. And it may not be a consensus pick across the industry or anything like that. That being said... Teams who pick later and want to contend, the guys that they want to take, almost without fail, they end up trading up. The Rangers have only taken, like the Rangers did not take a pick player in the Major League portion this year, but the Rangers, who have generally been contending, have had a number of Rule 5 picks over the years. Yep. They're almost never, they've only, ta- they've only drafted one Rule 5 pick with their pick, Major League portion, in the last, I think, 10 years. Cody Woods. Right, Cody Woods. Yeah. Everyone else is a guy who they had to essentially trade up to get. That's what you saw here, even here with the Angels, who were picking, I think, 14. They felt like they had to trade up if they were going to get a, a guy who, mm-hmm. who makes a whole lot of sense for them mm-hmm. because they're look. They, again, he's a left. Brian Moran's a left on left reliever. 84, 88, funky, more of arm angle deception, coming, you know, hard for lefties to pick him up. You don't want him to face a right-handed hitter. They traded Scott Downs this year. Ever, yeah. I mean, exactly. They they think they're you know they're trying to contend. That's where he's going to fit in. Is just like a, a cheap addition to the pen. Yep. Okay. On to number six. Uh, number six was uh, Seth Rosine. Uh, now he's with the Dodgers, uh, but he's drafted from the Phillies. Uh, he was fifth in the Eastern League in WHIP one one two two as a starter. Um, he doesn't really have a split that really jumps out. You know. Three to one strikeout to walk against right-handed batters, you know, good uh, two thirty-seven average allowed to right-handed batters. He's more of your generic. I would say the number for him would be forty-five, as in the grades for his three pitches. I, I, I'd be honest. That's one I just, I, I don't see. I don't see him sticking. I don't think he's going to do anything. He's a solid pitcher, but I don't think he's going to do anything well enough that when it's all said and done, when you, the restrictions that you carry, you know, yeah. especially if a guy. It, the one thing you got to remember of putting a, a Rule 5 guy, I'm not telling you, you know this, but you put a Rule 5 guy in the bullpen. One of the things you like with your bullpen, you like those guys who have options. You like when your bullpen's really taxed and you've used them a lot this week. Okay, we're sitting you down for two weeks basically to rest and recover, but more than that, we need to bring another arm up just to keep our, you know, so we have some guys to turn to tonight. You had a Rule 5 guy, you don't have that flexibility. I don't think he's necessarily nothing against him. I don't know if he's going to bring enough to uh, to make up for that. I will mention though, uh, what was it 2010? Mm-hmm. The Dodgers carried Carlos Monasterios, also drafted from the Phillies organization, which is kind of a strange parallel. I'm not saying they're the same yeah. pitcher, but it's, it's it did happen. Unique. Okay. Uh, now here's the here's the I, I think the most one of the most interesting pick of the Rule Five draft. That'll be uh, Russell Wilson, who we will not really cover on this podcast, but 
the most interesting pick to me of the major league portion at the seventh pick of the of the rule five. Yeah, a 21 year old uh, Taiwanese right-hander Wei Chung Wang uh, had Tommy John surgery in his past, has had a voided and renegotiated contract, uh, which made him eligible with the Pirates. Now he's with the Brewers. Uh, he had a ten and a half strikeout to walk ratio last year in the Gulf Coast. League. Right. So that's a good that's a good numbers. You want you like ten point five? That's good. So if you count. If you wanted to count like the traveling rookie leagues and short season, he's six levels below the major leagues. Yeah, he's to put it this way, he's yet to have a trip, a professional baseball trip where they stayed somewhere overnight. That's right. And now he's going to be potentially in the big leagues. That would be, correct me if I'm wrong, but you are kind of a Rule 5 aficionado. I'm not going to say ever because with the Rule 5, it goes back a long, long way. In the modern Rule 5 era... I mean, no one's ever been drafted on the DSL. I, I, you know, this would be the biggest jump. If he did stick, it's hard, it's hard to have a bigger jump than going from the lowest complex league to the big leagues. I would mention the two extreme outliers, Josh Hamilton. Mm-hmm. You know, had like a couple weeks in the New York Penn League. Right. But had uh, played a full season in, yeah. in high A before right. this. But I think the better parallel is Joaquin Soria, who... Uh, had much more experience in the Mexican mm-hmm. and Mexican Pacific League. Right. I believe he had 12 innings in the U.S. minus. Right. Most, right. It was mostly in the DSL and the various Mexican leagues. Right. Uh, and that would be your best case scenario. That would be your best case scenario. That being said, that was the difference of, uh, again, again, I come back to it. It's not that like, he won't be able to handle it, but the GCL, you get on a bus, you go to a game, you come back. I mean, I don't even think you sh- – there's no facilities to shower a lot of times. You just ride back on your bus because you're not going very far anyway. Uh, you know, And you go from that to, oh, here's someone who takes your bags and puts them, you know, and all that. It would be a, it, probably the best stuff of anyone taken in the draft, although I would argue that maybe the number eight pick we're coming up to may be a little better <laughs> stuff. But, so, I mean, it's all upside. Is it probably going to work out? No. Is it okay that if it doesn't? And it was a $25,000 gamble? Sure. I, I, I have no problem with that pick. It's just unlikely to work out. But, hey, if it's a 5% shot, it's going to work out. If it's a 5% shot that he turns into a productive big leaguer for them, and in the it's $6 million, $7 million a win you know, on the free agent market now, um, if he could turn into a you know even a one-win player down the road uh, you know, a year, you, you'd be talking about at, at, 20, at a $25,000 risk, that's pocket change. Yeah, there's always kind of the option as well that the teams could trade for these players, mm-hmm. you know, and keep them with no restriction. So that's always that might be in the right. back of the mind for some of these teams too. Exactly. Particularly with the player. Once like, you like have Mike. them, once you have them, it's a lot more easy to say, "Hey, can we work something out to mm-hmm. keep this guy?" Than it is just you're not gonna. It's not easy if you called up and said, "Hey, we we saw him in the GCL, and we really want him, and you want him to kind of be a cornerstone of a trade." I, I think generally the the, the Rightfully, the uh, the recipient team is going to hear that call and go. Do they know something we don't? Because you don't get calls to say, "Hey, we 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 have a trade. Our main target is going to be this guy's in the GCL for you." Those are throw-ins to trades, not guys you pick up as main parts. Yep, but we see about maybe two of those trades a year where teams yeah. trade to retain their rule fives. Uh, number eight was Marcus Bateo, the uh, Dominican right-handed reliever, JJ's boy, uh, four eighty-eight OPS against. Um, right-handed batters this year between Double AA, A, Triple A, and the Dominican League. He's, he, he really he can really shut down right-handed batters. Which, if you said pick, give me something that's valuable in a reliever, uh, I'll take that. Um, <laughs> the the big thing being with him is that it's with very legit stuff. Uh, 
in the D in the Dominican league this winter, he's throwing 95 plus. I mean, and by plus, I'm probably selling him short. He's not throwing. He's throwing strikes. He's not walking anybody. He uh, he's throwing a slider that's anywhere from 86 to I've heard 90. Um, you know, it's he has big league time in the past. I, I to me. I think when this Rule 5 draft's over, I know he's the eighth guy taken. There's a chance that he's gonna, he's had elbow problems. I, I, there's obviously a chance that he could get hurt and we just never hear from him again. But I, he's my pick to be the guy who's most likely that we look back at this Rule 5 draft from this year and go, wow, that was a good pickup. And again, by good pickup in the Rule 5 draft, that probably means he was a useful seventh-inning guy for a couple of years. That's, that's, that's the bar that you're trying to clear here. Yeah, and he's going to a team that clearly wants to win now in the Diamondbacks. And I think he could help them. Mm-hmm. Uh, ninth and final pick, Michael Almanzar, a third baseman out of the uh, Red Sox system. Uh, the thing about him that really stands out is he's got good power against left-handers. Uh, mm-hmm. 477 slugging in the Eastern League this year, uh, 13% strikeout rate. He's got very good bat-to-ball skills on the weak side of uh, the, the split equation, and he's got some pop. And... Played third, played first, mm-hmm. so he he does. You you could see him potentially fitting as a backup corner and play a little. You know, again, okay, lefties on the mound. Maybe you even DH him every now and then. Like okay, or you're it's the American League, so you don't see a whole lot of uh, you know of uh, pinch hitting or anything. But it what uh, just one thing that struck me when he's taken is like this. He's in the same the yeah, Colbert Vidic, who's the uh, Red Sox first round pick a few years ago. Third baseman also also available, and understandably, I mean, I don't think anyone was sniffing there, you know that. But another third baseman for the Red Sox goes instead. I, I think if you're the Red Sox, and this is nothing as Almanzar, but you don't like to lose talent. But if you said, okay, pick a position where the Red Sox could lose someone, and be okay, third base is probably a pretty good one when you have Middlebrooks, Bogarts, who can play there if they ended up re-signing Stephen Drew. And Garen Cicchini. So, Almazar, it, it's a much better situation, I think, for him in Baltimore. Don't know that it'll stick, but the Orioles have had pretty good success, even while contending. Yeah, last, last two years, while they've been basically in the playoff race, they've had Rule 5 pick stick. Yep, both years. Well, that's our Rule 5. There you go. Yay! Okay, you know, enjoy, Rule 5 fans. I'm, I'm, you, you know I'm one of you. When I say Rule 5 geeks, I say that, and I mean that, with love, because I, I was hashtagging Rule Tag Five Fever all week, uh, you know, tracking down Rule Five rumors, which is a very uh, solitary pursuit in many ways. <laughs> um, but that leads us on to our draft. I got to draft first when we did our uh, NL Central. You did. You won. That I means mean, you, you won that first pick alone. That that means that it's it switches back, and so Matt gets the first pick. As we've mentioned on all these, do remember number one picks are not available for this. So number one prospects. So it's not that we don't think that Archie Bradley's really good because we would he would go. Jonathan Gray would go very quickly. Jock Peterson would go very quickly. Austin Hedges would go very quickly. And I think Kyle Crick would go very quickly. I don't know. Before we start, I will throw out, okay, I, I feel confident that Bradley, Gray, maybe Peter Hedges, maybe Peterson, and maybe Crick would go before any of the twos. I don't know. I don't think Crick would go before any, all the twos. I'm pretty confident on that. But what would you say? I mean, like... Yeah, I would draw the line probably um, after Gray, actually. I could see a case for taking a number two over 
Peterson Hedges or Crick. Okay, but yeah. it's like it's in that line, and they would all be going very quickly. I think. Yeah, yeah. Even I think Crick is. They're all the, legit number ones. Right, they're all legit number ones. Crick is number five of that group to me, but I still think that he would go pretty quickly if he were adding them to the exercise. That being said, they're not available. You get the first pick. I think I know which way you're going, and I'm kind of bummed about it. <laughs> I'm not going to take your cheese ball, but I'm, I'm going to take uh, Eddie Butler, Rocky's right hand. I'm kind of bummed about it because yes, he, I mean he's the clear. The clear number one pick in this draft, I think. Yeah, I, I debated it a little bit, but I think the stuff is too electric that you have to, you know, you're looking at potential pluses in th- for three pitch types. The best way to put it is, is Jonathan Gray is a stud prospect. And there was a very legit debate in mm-hmm. our offices, Jonathan Gray versus Eddie Butler. Mm-hmm. And I think you could have made an argument. I mean, you could make an argument. Butler's closer to the big leagues. And his stuff, it's not Jonathan Gray stuff because that's, you're starting. You're talking triple digits, and Jonathan Gray does it from six four two fifty versus a much smaller yeah. framed Eddie Butler. That being said, I again, if you told me Butler, you said I, I can only, you know I can only have Eddie Butler and you can have Jonathan Gray. I'm not all that bummed about that. That's not a very. They're not that far apart. That is the concern. It's not like a prototype workhorse starter frame. Right. He's more like like a Clay Buckles type frame. Right. So, but. but so the stuff is undeniable. He's been healthy so far. I'm taking it. That that being said, yeah, it, it's it's now I'm going to go a little bit off the board for my uh, for my number two <laughs> I know, pick. I think I know where you're going. You, I think you know exactly where I'm going. So here we go to Julio Urias, um, <laughs> which uh, is the number three prospect in the Dodgers organization uh, behind Corey Seager, who I'm sure we'll see his name pop up here before too long. I'm going to go with the 16 year old with stuff with. When I say amazing feel, it doesn't do it justice. Um, we would never get to see this in, a, in an American high school pitcher. You, know, you don't get to find out what an American, a very polished American high school pitcher, 16-year-old, could do if he got to pitch in the Midwest League. And re- why is that? Because they're not eligible to do it. I mean, I guess unless you go way, way, way back to the... Uh, <laughs> To the uh, to the forties, and when pretty much during World War II, anyone and everyone was uh, was available. <laughs> Two um, arms not required. Joe J- Nuxall, you know, being the uh, the prime example. Um, I-, I had scouts tell me this year, look, I know he's in low, I know he's sixteen, and I know sixteen year old Midwest League is shocking. He could pitch in Double A right now. Like I, uh, scouts who were convicted, they had no doubt that he could pitch in Double A and succeed as a sixteen year old. He's going to pitch in high A. I mean, I don't think there's any reason. He went, they kept his innings limited, but 2-0, and 18 starts with 44 hits allowed in 54 innings, more than 67 Ks in 54 <laughs> innings. He's going to high A next year, mm-hmm. and he may make it to double A next year as a 17-year-old, which mm-hmm. is insane. Yeah, when's the last 19-year-old pitcher we've seen in the major leagues? Felix? Probably. He's not Felix from the standpoint of his... Scott Casimir? I don't think... I thought it was 20 for him. Yeah. yeah. But it wasn't far. It's, it's rare. It's rare. For him, if it's 19 when he hits the big leagues, he's going to have slowed down his ascent. Because, again, <laughs> even if you said a level a year... Right. Okay, so he spends this year in high A. And I don't think... I think he'll pitch in double A this year. But let's say a level a year. So he's level... He, this year is spent primarily as a 17-year-old. He'll turn... 18 in the final three weeks of the season. Then you go to, you know, so then you say double A as an 18-year-old. Be honest with that. If he has three full seasons 
low A, high A, double A, it's unlikely he doesn't get a call up at the end of that year if he's pitching, if they're in the playoff, you know, contending and all, because he could help them. I, I think he'll be in the big leagues as an 18-year-old. <laughs> wow. I'm might, be, I'll, might be 19. Right, I'll take this I'll bet, I'll bet more of that with you. I, I might be 19 because it might be nine, Again, if the progression. I'm not going to bet more yet because I'm saying if the progression goes like, I mean, because, you know, I wouldn't take that bet from the standpoint of we never know when TJ, you know, there's all kind of things that can happen. If he, I mean, takes a, you know, breaks his hand at a comebacker or something, you know, anything could screw that up because that involves him not getting hurt. But it is amazing just how kind of the progression goes for him. Mm-hmm. So, sorry, I've talked too much about who we <laughs> On back to you. I am going with uh, perhaps the most unheralded right-hander in the minors, Matt Whistler, Padres number two. He would have been my next pick, too. So. I think you're looking at uh, two minimum 60 pitches with a fastball and slider. It's potentially a seven fastball. Uh, you don't get the third pitch quite the caliber of Butler, but I think the uh, he's got exceptional control and, and power stuff. I like him quite a bit. And a good, and a good pitcher's build, too. It's projectable still. I, I, I think I may have gone that way myself. So it, it's, you know, it, I, I like that pick. I'm going to go Corey Seager. I guess I'm staying with the Dodgers. I would have probably, again, per, these are BA rankings, not any one of our personal rankings. Um, we kind of work them all together. Personally, I'd have Urias 2, Seager 3. I think. I, even, I say that even just as I've talked to more and more people post I did the Midwest League list. I think I had Seager ahead of Urias on that one. So I may even be having inconsistency <laughs> with myself. But at this moment as I draft him, I don't think there's that much separation between the two of them. Um, the, the good things with Seager is, is that it's, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty premium bat, potentially, left-handed bat, mm-hmm. um, from a guy who, a left-handed bat at positions that it's valuable at. He's going you know, to play somewhere in the infield, I think. I don't think it's going to be shortstop. Probably going to be a third baseman. But a left-handed hitting third baseman. Um, with some power, you know, with some field, you know, with some field to hit. The knocks on him are, you do get some inconsistent effort. It feels like sometimes, sometimes, guys, you know, like scouts who saw him in the Midwest League, saw him in the, especially in the Arizona Fall League, felt like Arizona Fall League. A lot of guys felt like he did not look like he wanted to be there. Um, it's, it was the end of a very long season for him, so you don't want to write him off too much for that. Mm-hmm. At the same time, scouts always want to see guys who basically. It's game 155, and they're like, yeah, I'm here. <laughs> Just always remember Mike Trout hit, like, what, 180 right. or whatever. No, exactly. NFL. Byron Buxton hit 210 this year, yeah. and I'll take Byron Buxton over any other prospect in the game by Ever. far. Ever. No, I don't know about that, but by far. <laughs> um, so, you know, so that's that's the way I'm going. Back to you. Uh, I'm not going to do much to help my risk profile here, but I'm taking another pitcher. Uh, Max Fried, Padres left-hander. Uh, Padres 6'4", left-hander. Uh, if you think about where Tyler Skaggs was, you know, when he was 18, think about maybe like a half grade to a full grade better. I think, yeah, I think you're, look, you're looking at a big curveball, a big body left-hander who still has a little room to fill out and add velo and improve his control, which is all stuff he has to do. But. Right. But I agree with you. I, I, know, I think if you compare every step along the way, when they were in high school, you mm-hmm. know, Skagg, Skaggs has always had solid stuff, and his stuff picked, ticked up a tick. And then maybe tick back a tick this year. But mm-hmm. that being said, you look at the two, and Freed's always had a little bit more stuff. So no, I I, I, I was leaning that way maybe too. We're, we're, I, we're I, consensus right now. I know, it's scary. I wanted to uh, try to get a position player here, but I, these pitchers are all right too I, good at this point. Yeah, hey, I've got Seager already on my team. So uh, <laughs> um, that leads it back to me. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go another pitcher. I'll go Braden Shipley. Um, 
it, again, I, I want Eddie Butler more than either of my pitchers. Uh, but but Shipley, I, I think, could move pretty quickly. Um, you know, Vance Field probably should be able to stay as a starter. I, I think he'd be a fine reliever if he didn't, but I think he probably should. I, I would expect that he uh, pitches a good bit in Double A this year at some point. Um, you know, I know he's kind of ticketed probably for High A, but. Uh, but I think he's advanced enough that you'll see him make the jump at some point in 2014, barring all the other the standard things that we talk about. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, he's, he's a little bit lower risk than maybe like a guy like Max Freed. Mm-hmm. I don't think he has the upside, but I think he is a little closer, a little less to work on. Yep. One of the top college pitchers available in this draft. Oh, yeah. So. Okay, uh, I'm going to take a position player. I'm looking at two shortstops here. I'm going to take the, uh, the Diamondbacks, Chris Good. Owens. I'll take the other one. Yeah, Chris Owings. I think, because the other one, I, I have serious questions I want to see answered. I think Chris Owings has his warts, but... He's going to play in the big leagues, and he's going to do it before long. But, yeah, you're looking at a potential first division second baseman, you know, in, in the context of the Diamondbacks, unless they trade him, unless D.D. Gregorius... Unless they trade D.D. Gregorius, which there are yeah. rumors about, too. Um, I, you know, Owings could probably be a five major league shortstop. Nothing flashy. But I think uh, the bat-to-ball skills are good. Got good gap power, can run a little bit. I'll ask you this. Compare him to a you know, guy you're pretty well familiar with who's now in the big leagues, but compare him to Nick Franklin. Who do you like better? Probably Franklin, I think. Um, why, why do you like Franklin better than him? More, more power. He's a, he's a good left-handed hitter. Can't hit right-handed <laughs> yeah, at all. Yeah, but <laughs> no. I think if you're looking for a guy who's... Neither, neither one of them is going to be a star, but I think Franklin does has, See, has louder raw tools. I might go Owings. And I partly because I do think that Owings has a better shot. Like, with Franklin... And they don't have to trade Franklin, but now that they've you know acquired Cano, mm-hmm. there's a lot of talk that they will trade Franklin. Mm-hmm. I, if you want Franklin to be, you know, and if you don't worry about his career and what you're doing to that, you could make him uh, a useful utility infielder on that team because he can play short. But I don't think you'd ever consider starting. I don't think he could be a five shortstop. They have left-handed hitters at second and third. That's, yeah. that's a really big hindrance for Nick Franklin. No, it is. And, and if Brad Miller, they, they could have left-handed hitters all over the infield. That is crazy. So Franklin would be the least useful fit, piece yeah. for, for that. For, whereas for another team, he would probably be pretty yeah, useful. Yeah, he'd be the best thing ever. But, that you know, and really he has more value. You would really want to do that from the standpoint of, I do think there are teams out there who it would be useful for them to have Nick Franklin, you know. They, mm-hmm. I mean, if, if, I'm, if I might be calling the Yankees, and you know, I don't know what you'd want from the Yankees, but hey, we just took your second baseman. I want Barala and Conley. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we can't give you Conley now. We lost him. Um, but, uh, but I do think Owings, at the same time, I think Franklin can play shortstop as a backup. I think Owings can play it as a starter. He's not going to do it. He's not going to... He's not going to push Didi Gregorius aside because Didi Gregorius is better defensively. But he's a one in strat, right? But he. But I do think that Owings can play it. You know, where if they did trade Didi Gregorius, he would be their shortstop. Uh, I'll put it that way. Yeah, I don't want to talk down Owings. He's my, my fourth yeah. round pick here. I I choose to believe that the uh, improvements in his walk to strikeout ratio in the second half at AAA are for real. So so I'll go with the riskier. Um, there have been a whole lot of Asheville creations over the years. Um, I'm trying to think. You may remember such hits as Joe Koshansky and uh, oh, Jordan Pacheco was awesome there. Jordan Pacheco, and I think right now you you know you you have to go Trevor Story. Like needs to prove that he wasn't one of those. Kyle Parker's been pretty good, you know, but all the way up. But Rosal Herrera in his second in his return to Nashville. Let's make that clear. Also, three forty three, four nineteen, five fifteen. Um, I you know. He, He's going to have, he has some power now. 
I think he's going to have a good bit more power. Um, I think without a doubt, uh, because he's got the frame to do that. Mm-hmm. There is legit questions about whether he's going to be a shortstop long term. Mm-hmm. I'm not that worried about that as far as adding him to my fictional team that's never going to play a game and, <laughs> and all that. But I, I'm not that worried about that from the standpoint of if, if he's not going to be a shortstop, he's going to play somewhere where defense, you know, he's still going to be at a premium position. He might be a second baseman, he might be a third baseman, he might be a center fielder. It's going to be one of those. And. I just do like, I mean, it's a good body. It's a good field to hit. There's a lot of tools there, and he's put them together somewhat. Mm-hmm. That's a good left-handed swing, too. He's a switch hitter. Better from the left side. Yeah. Back to you. Yikes. Um, how far are we taking this? There's no Brewers this time. We haven't taken a Giant yet, so we're at least going until, you know. <laughs> and I think a Giant, but it's going to be a little quicker here because I, I think there is a Giant in the uh, in the mix before too long. Uh, Our choice is now to give an example what of the next guy available. If you will, go by rankings, we have Matt Davidson, third base uh, for the Diamondbacks. We have Kyle Parker, who you've already mentioned, first baseman outfitter for the Rockies. Zach Lee for the uh, Dodgers. Hunter Renfro for the uh, for the Padres list, which you did, and Edwin Escobar for the Giants. Now, again, by the rules of this. If you want to take number 10 Giants prospect Clayton Blackburn, you can. I don't think you will. But you're not limited to those. But just to give our podcast listeners, as they're hanging on the edge of their seats, uh, <laughs> wondering which way you're going to go. Uh, I'm going to take uh, Zach Lee, Dodgers number four prospect. Their, uh, Safe pick. Their right-hander. Yeah, he is. He's, he's Matt a, likes his security. He's a number four profile. You know, uh, It's really his pitchability and command that makes the stuff play up. I don't think there's a 60 pitch there. Slider might be close. Uh, but he's a guy who pitches off his fastball um, and just knows how to use his stuff. That's my guy. I'm going to go, and I, I think you can sense that there's a little bit more like, oh, okay, these lists thin out pretty quickly here. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to go with uh, with one of your with your one of your guys from the Padres list. Uh, evaluations, I think, are coming up here before long at Baseball America. So, in in a in true Aaron Fit fashion, I will uh, I'll pick Hunter Renfro, uh, thereby currying favor with our boss John Manuel, because uh, no one's a bigger Hunter Renfro believer than John Manuel. No, <laughs> and John's got good feel, so I, I'm kind of taking it on on faith in, in John's feel because John really believes in Hunter Renfro. So back to you. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, with my sixth pick, I'm taking my second position player, Diamondbacks third baseman Matt Davidson. Good power stroke uh, to right center field, uh, all the way to left, his pull side. You know, when all said and done, he's probably not much more than a 50 or a fringe defender, maybe more of a second division starter type of guy, but I like, I like the power in his bat, and at this point in the draft, he's my guy. Okay. Come back to me. I'm going to go for a, a risky, safe pick. I'm going to go Casey Kelly, hmm. who's risky because we don't know for sure that, you know, uh, that he – made it all the way back from his Tommy John. But if he did, he very well could be, you know, ready for uh, to help out in the big leagues in 2014. So I, I'll go that over Edwin Escobar. Sorry, Edwin and Giants. But but that is, to me, a uh, he's, he's kind of a, he's a risky safe pick. Yeah, I like Kelly. Um, you've always, I mean, you've always been a kind of a, a Casey Kelly believer. Yeah, the, the, the things that he's good at, he's really good at. And he started missing bats in 2012. And you don't want to overplay the two-sport thing, but mm-hmm. he's when you say a pitcher who has athleticism, a pitcher who 
played pro ball as a shortstop while pitching and was a legitimate football prospect as well. That There's some true athleticism there. Not just, oh, he played a sport at some point. Because Adam Dunn played, yes, Adam Dunn played football, but I don't think athleticism is really what I think of with Adam Dunn. This is tough here. This is pick seven? Pick seven. We've got the Rockies first baseman, Kyle Parker. We've got uh, Dodgers right-hander, Chris Anderson. You skipped Aaron Blair with the uh, Diamondbacks. Aaron Blair with the Diamondbacks. Uh, you took Kelly, so that brought the Reimer Liriano for the Padres. You know, I might go with Edmund Escobar here. Take the, uh, let's see, Venezuelan left-hander, 6-1, two-plus pitches. It's kind of a um, footnote to history being he was traded for a Rule 5 pick. We talked about the Rule 5 retention mm-hmm. trades in the past. Uh, the Giants got him when they drafted Ben Snyder for the Rangers and traded him for Edwin Escobar. So he's actually a Rangers signee. Mm-hmm. So knowing that knowing their track record on the international market makes me want Edwin Escobar even more. And really, the question of him is going to be: he's going, you know, he projects pretty well. Is it going to be end up being as a power reliever, or is it going to be more of a you know middle rotation starter? That's kind of still to be determined. Um, we'll we'll see, and that's probably why both of us were kind of yeah. we're, we're so holding off on taking him. It's just that. If you're taking the guy who's still a little bit on the fringe between which way he's going to go versus the guys who, like comparing Casey Kelly to him, Casey Kelly's going to start mm-hmm. again unless the unless the velo disappeared with the uh, with the elbow injury. Unless he turns into Chris Volstad, right? Right, he's going to start, and so with that being the case, we're generally going to take the starter over the I'm, over the. I'm talking myself into Escobar here. I like him, which means I got to take one more pick, and we're done. Yeah. Um, no, I'm not going Chris Stratton. No. Uh, I'm not going Robert Liriano. Chris Anderson is possible. Alexander Guerrero, like the top, I'm not going to do, but you know, David Dahl would be an interesting, uh, you know what I am? I'm going David Dahl. I'm going all upside. If we were doing this draft a year ago, David Dahl would not have been, well, now he would be. If Jonathan Gray in this parallel universe was in the, uh, Red or Red Rockies organization, Jonathan Gray would have been ranked ahead of him, so would Eddie Butler. And, but if, if the David Dahl of a year ago was transplanted with Time Machine to right now, he would have gone well before this. Mm-hmm. When you say terrible 2013 season, <laughs> not as much statistically just as a completely lost season. Um, sent back from, uh, I don't know if he got unpacked in Asheville before they sent him back to, uh, in, in, in kind of a disciplinary measure for what. He was late for a flight. He, he booked his own flight to Asheville. Or some, that, was, that was the company line. Right. There was something like that where it was like, okay, and to show that, you know, hey, even our star prospects have to follow the rules. They send him back to the complex. Eventually let him come back out. And he, I, you know, how, I, I believe he got hurt running to first base. He strained yeah. some sort of leg muscle or something. Yeah, hamstring, I think it was. And then it was done. Severe, and, severely tore his right hamstring. Right. And it was done. We publish this stuff, don't we? Yes. You know, I, I knew this stuff. Trying, you know, you're, you're acting like it's skeptical. No, these things didn't happen. But, uh, you know, and so take all that with it. At the same time, this was a guy who was a premium prospect coming into the year. Yes, you would rather he, that he had gone to Asheville and hit 300 with a 400 on base and a 500 slugging, and he would be, uh, you know, I, I'll put this way, I'm a lot, he's probably not going to make the top 100 this year because it was a completely lost year of development. He will go into next year a year behind where he was coming into this year. All that being said, he has some premium tools. He had 
the year he had a year ago was outstanding. Mm-hmm. And there is something often that works out pretty well for a guy who kind of deals with that adversity and realizes after the games come relatively easy to him, whoa, you know, there's a lot that I have to do to, to get to where I want to go. It can often be a, a, a useful in that way. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll take David Dahl to wrap up this exercise. All right. So we will we'll, we'll move on to the AL East before long, which, that, you know what's going to be interesting about that one? I think our rule will be, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how many Red Sox are taken before the first Yankee. Because let's be honest, there's a lot of our listeners who, that's what they'll be interested to hear. Yankees and Red Sox Yankees fans alike. Sox. So, but just to kind of recap, we took three Diamondbacks. Um, and we, we do it again. We took two Rockies. No, three Rockies. Three Rockies. We skipped. I, went, I, I skipped Cal Parker and Chad Bettis and uh, went down to David Dahl, took the wild card. Uh, we took three Dodgers. We took four Padres. And we took a Giant. So, it, you know, a, a relatively even distribution. I, I guess before we wrap this up, I will say, so what do you, if you had one of these farm systems, which one would you take? Hmm. Do we, we probably both agree that you think you say Bradley's probably the best prospect in this division? Or would you go with Gray or Butler? It's me. I haven't said that. I, I'll put it this way. They're in the same group enough that I mean, yeah. I put them in the same box. All three That's of those really are tough. among the best starting pitching prospects. You know, wouldn't it surprise me? I mean, the Rockies probably have the highest ceilings when you, when you figure Gray might have a one profile, Butler a two, Pereira might be a starter on the infield, Dahl might be a starter in center field, Tom Murphy might be a power-hitting catcher. It's... That's the one yeah, I want. They've got some upside, yeah. That's the one I want. Ramil Tapia is far away, but he's an interesting center fielder at this stage. He could, you know, he's kind of like the David Dahl of this year. To me, that's the that's the farm system I want of these. Um, I just look at it again, and I know you're right. I mean, there's more. You, know, you talk it's about there's more risky. risk when you talk about pitchers than you talk about hitters. At the same time, you know, and we get this every year when we do a top hundred. Oh, you know, look, they, you know. I, I respect Dave Cameron's stuff and all, and I really like Dave Cameron's stuff, but Dave Cameron always says, you know, they, they're overvaluing pitchers when they do their top 100. They're overvaluing pitchers. We're not doing it from the standpoint of trying to line it up as far as, it, I mean, as I view it at least, we're not saying here is the perfect distribution of war where our goal is, is that when it's all said and done, the number one, I mean, that's a nice, it'd be great if that happened, but if Jonathan Gray is riskier, yes, he's riskier than a position player prospect because he's a pitcher. Pitchers get pitchers have much more ways that they can get hurt in ways that adversely affect his career. A, a hitter, there's really not a whole lot of hitting injuries you could have that pretty much mean, oh, okay, well, you could be done. There are a lot of those in pitching. That being said, Jonathan Gray, as when I put the top hundred together. It's like a combination of prospect status, you know, who, which guys I think are going to turn into stars, and also throw into that a little bit of, and what's their trade value? Like if you said, mm-hmm. I, I think that the number five guy on the list should, if the number five guy is on that list is offered for the number 25 guy on the list, that the team that has a 25 guy be like, in a moment we'll do that. Jonathan Gray, yes, he's riskier. If, you, if the Rockies called up and they wanted to use, they can't use him yet because he's only drafted a year ago, they want to use Eddie Butler who could be drafted. And they said, we want to trade Eddie Butler. Eddie Butler has a pretty massive amount of trade value as a prospect right now. Mm-hmm. Compared to a safer, like, a, to, there's not really a great first base prospect in the game right now. But if there was, a solid first base prospect is way safer 
than a very good pitching prospect, but the very good pitching prospect has more trade value, I'd argue, most yeah, every time. His, his skills are just more rare. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's just harder to find a pitcher right. who can throw mid-90s, has a great build, and has potential two-plus secondary pitches. Again, Max Freed, there's a whole lot of risk there about whether Max Freed's ever going to be a, uh, a useful big league but starter. But good luck finding someone else who has the same... Right. Basic tools to work with. And that's what teams know. Like is the reality of it is, is right now we we've seen we we see it in the free agent market right now. If you need a position player, we we see it with first baseman right now, okay? The the Brewers are watching all the first basemen. The Mariners are collecting all the first basemen and putting them over <laughs> in the corner and taking trade, them away. Trade value. It's a trade yeah, value proposition. Yeah. But they're, you know, but the Brewers aren't really panicking. Like, okay, well, we got to pay James Loney whatever we can. You know, we have to to get him, because they always feel like, well, you can always, you can always put together something at first base. We saw a terrible example of it with what the Brewers tried to do last year after their injuries. <laughs> but you can always do that. Whereas teams go out there and they'll they're willing to spend four, you know, four years and what seven, eight, nine million depending on the player for middle to back end of the rotation starters because the reality is, is that they, there's not that same confidence that you can just f- sign some minor league, you know, some guys with the invites to spring minor league contracts with spring training and find a starter out of there. Not that it doesn't happen, but pitching is, is I, at least as I see it, you said, it's, there, it's just rare to find guys who especially could pitch in the front end of rotations. Mm-hmm. But, well, that's another... Uh, Another division draft in the books. Three of them down, three to go. Between the next, the time we do the next one, we have a lot of, in my case, prospect handbook writing. In your case, a lot of prospect handbook editing ahead of us before we do the next one. Um, we will probably, we will try, it won't be probably the, I guess it might be the, no, we, we'll do the AL East draft next week because we'll have wrapped it up. So okay. we'll have the AL East draft. That'll be our, probably our last podcast of 2013. Because uh, the next week is, uh, you know, I don't think we'll be doing one that next week. We'll be finishing up handbook and otherwise not working, uh, hopefully. So thanks, everyone, for the download. We will talk to you again next week. And you can start prepping on who you think we're going to take in our uh, AL East prospect draft. So long, everybody. <laughs>